Hello and welcome to the St Mark's podcast. Whether you regularly join us at church on Sundays or you're joining us for the very first time, we hope that this week's talk inspires you and draws you closer to Jesus. Uh, Today's reading is from Philippians 2, 19 to 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honour people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Well, hello again. Uh, welcome to St. Mark's. We're in, well, in the thick of this series, New You. And uh, we're exploring the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. And we're using the example of the church in Philippi, uh, the Philippians, uh, that's recorded in the New Testament that Sarah has just read from. And we're using their example to inspire our Christian living today. And so far, uh, if you've not caught the series, we, we began by looking at having a new heart, a heart that God gives us to love him to love others and love Grimsby. And then we talked about a new purpose, how God gives us a purpose for living that inspires our everyday lives. No matter what comes our way, we have a purpose. Then we moved on to talk about having a new attitude, learning from Jesus' example of serving and preferring others above ourselves. Then we moved on to new responsibilities. That's fine. These slides are nothing to do with to do with this, you can just jump back to the first slide. It's fine. Um, we moved on to new responsibilities, working out our freedom in Christ and taking responsibility for living the Christian life so that we might burn bright in the world around us. And if you missed any of those uh, installments, you can listen back. Just head to the website, head to Talks, and you can pick those up later on. But today, we're going to be talking about new friendships, new friendships that form in our new life in Christ. I don't know whether you were caught up in the hallmark holiday that is Valentine's Day. Anyone fallen for that one? It's okay, you can put your hand up. You don't need to be ashamed of that, it's fine. It's a good thing, it's good. Yeah, excellent. Um, I'm looking slightly sheepish because uh, mine was not a particularly great effort. Uh, But I'm not trying to be unromantic here, but it's just one of those commercial incentives, it seems, to, uh, to, to um, push us into buying overpriced flowers and overpriced chocolates. And uh, it really has nothing to teach us or to guide us in when it comes to 
deep, loving, and meaningful relationships. Well, so I find. Anyway, I mean, have you read some of those terrible poems that you get inside some of those cards? Maybe you've read one and you thought, that is really sweet. But sometimes you find them and you think, really? Who writes these things? Sometimes it just winds me up. They don't even rhyme. I think, come on, you can at least rhyme with it. Let's just try you out on one of these. Okay, you can complete the line for me in just a moment. To my sweetheart, I love you completely with all of my soul. Without you, I'm nothing. No, a butterless roll. Yeah, without you, I'm nothing. A butterless. I like that, actually. It's quite good. Uh, I love you completely with all of my soul. Without you, I'm nothing. A butterless roll. I mean, I'm there. It's got me sold. I'm not sure what St. Valentine would have made of what the day has become. He was a priest, possibly a bishop, uh, and martyred at Rome under the Emperor Claudius in the third century. And he was known for blessing those who had a deep love for one another, as Jesus had taught his disciples to do. And um, it was the love, really, of those early Christians that stood out in those early centuries. There was something about the way they loved one another that looked so different. And it was interesting that Valentine was killed. He was martyred because he wouldn't conform to the pagan rituals at the time. He, he, he preached a different gospel, a different message, a good news message of a love that was divine, a love for God and a love for one another that stood out amongst all others. In ancient Rome, Valentine would have witnessed the festival of Lupercalia, which was a fertility sort of ritual that sought from the gods all sorts of uh, favors for fertility. And there were all sorts of rites and rituals that were performed. They involved much of the time uh, in the early centuries promiscuous and sadistic practices without love. It was quite different to the love that was preached about and modeled by those early Christians, including Valentine. I would say that the world has moved on, but I'm not so sure that it has in some cases. So what has this got to do with new friendships? Valentines may be all about lovers, life partners, marriage, but the love that Jesus teaches us about brings a richness to other sorts of relationships too. Marriage is a gift from God to be held in high esteem, but it's not the ultimate prize or marker for loving relationships. The friendships we hold as Christians are equally marked by a divine love. Love is the goal of all quality relationships. So, pushing the Hallmark holiday aside, we ought to be asking, well, what makes for a quality relationship? And for the sake of the time I have left to speak, how can we build and maintain new friendships as followers of Jesus? So I just wondered this morning, as you reflect on that, would you like to have more quality friendships in your life? Perhaps for you, for whatever reason, you don't have many friends at the moment, and you're thinking, I would love some of those deep friendships in my life. Maybe you would benefit from some of your friendships being strengthened, going deeper. Well, let's look at what God says about friendship through his words, using the example of Paul, of Timothy, and Epaphroditus in our passage this morning. But just before we touch on those three 
friends. Let's go back to the start, as I like to do, to Genesis, the beginning. In the beginning, God created. And his finest creation at the very beginning came in the form of man and then also woman. And Adam was made and God said this in Genesis 2:18, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. If you read on, it makes for quite an amusing scene. Maybe you know it, maybe you've not read it before, but God brings to Adam all the different animals of the earth for naming. And we read in verse 20, no suitable helper was found. I can't help but think it would have taken a while. When you think of the number of creatures that God formed, this one, Adam's like, oh, I'm not sure. This one, oh, I don't know. This one, I, and they get to the end, they're like, I don't know, I've just given you all these animals and there's no one, no suitable helper for you, Adam. So God formed woman from part of the man and verse 24 tells us, this, or Adam says this, Adam says, this is now bone of bones, flesh of my flesh. Uh, and it tells us that this is why Man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. This suitable helper formed them into one flesh. This is where we get this image, this model of marriage. And Genesis chapter 2 finishes with these words. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. No shame in their relationship. In the beginning, God created relationship a divine bond where two become one and without shame. They were quite literally made for each other. And they were also made for a relationship with their creator God. In Genesis 3, which is where it all goes wrong and they disobey God, we read that the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It's an amazing picture that tells us that Adam and Eve simply enjoyed being with God, being in his presence, walking with God in the garden, in relationship, without division, without shame. Only in this instance, they hid. They hid because they were ashamed, because they had disobeyed God and sin had entered the world. And the relationship that they had with God broke down, as did the relationship between one another. So in the beginning, God created man and woman and relationship with God and with one another, and it was very good until it broke. And although we have been feeling the consequences of this brokenness ever since, the truth remains that you and I are made for relationship with the living God and with one another. You know, we still live with this tension of desiring relationship because it's God-given, but also finding it hard because sin ruins relationships. As someone once said, we are like two porcupines in winter, drawing close for warmth and then spiking each other and moving apart again. Maybe you can relate to that in some of your relationships. I know I can. The good news is, the good news is that on the cross, Jesus broke down the barrier that divided that relationship we have with God and the barrier that stood between us and others. And as Ephesians 2 puts it, 
Jesus destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus has made a way for you and I to have a friendship with God again and quality friendships with others, without shame, completely free and in the best of relationships. You know, I love that Jesus models these new friendships within his ministry. He calls us his disciples, his followers, and subsequently he calls us his friends. John 15, 14, you are my friends. If you look at Jesus' ministry within the Gospels, then you see that Jesus accepted everyone. He had time for everyone, but still he chose his friends. And if Jesus needed friendships, so do we. Jesus had that wider group of friends, those sort of 12 disciples uh, of men, but he also had friends who were, were women. They were his friendship group. He also had this inner circle of friends that we see in Peter, James, and John. And again, there were women in his ministry who were within that inner circle of friends as well. I'd encourage you to go away and, and read through a gospel. Maybe the gospel of Mark is the shortest one. You can nail it in a couple of hours. And just think about how friendship is threaded throughout that ministry. But for now, let's go back to that passage in Philippians, where we see some top tips for friendship embedded in real relationships. And it was precisely by Jesus' example that these countercultural friendships were formed in the life of the early church. So let's look at four top tips for friendships. Feel free to make a note in a notebook or on your phone as you reflect this week on your friendships as well. So let's start with the first one. The first one is this, genuine love. Genuine love. We see straight away that Paul bigs up his friend, Timothy. But Paul and Timothy weren't old playmates. They weren't old school friends or drinking buddies down the local pub. Paul was older than Timothy. Paul was a, was a Jew. Uh, he was a deeply religious man who had had an encounter with Jesus and his life had been transformed. And meanwhile, Timothy, although he was brought up by his mother, who was a Jewess and his grandmother, his father was a Greek. So he was non-religious. And so he, Timothy was brought up a Greek and he became a Christian, became a follower of Jesus through Paul's example and his teaching. And this friendship formed out of that conversion, if you like, by the Holy Spirit, they became friends. And I love the way that Paul endorses his friend, Timothy. He describes Timothy as, my son, whom I love. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. My son, whom I love. That's what Paul says of his friend, Timothy. And we know from New Testament scriptures, particularly those letters written by Paul, that they traveled together, they taught together, they even spent time in prison together for the gospel. And Paul's endorsement of Timothy in this passage is that Timothy is selfless. He is selfless. Paul says this, he says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. And then he draws this contrast in verse 21 to, to those who look out for their own interests. He says, Timothy is selfless compared to those who look out for their own self-interests. And it tells us something about this countercultural friendship, this model that Timothy is setting by example. And the friendships of these early Christians were not just to be endorsed 
not just to be noticed. It was a reflection of the selfless love of Christ we see demonstrated through his followers. You know, this is a real challenge for us as Christians today in the world around us. You know, we live in a culture where so often people put themselves first. We so often want to put ourselves and our own interests first. It was in the late 20th century, the Prime Minister Gladstone at the time said this. He said, selfishness is the greatest curse of the human race. I'm not sure that our Western society has moved on much since then. Perhaps it's even got worse. But as Christians, we can be inspired by Jesus' example to show genuine concern for the welfare of others above ourselves. Then Paul has this other friend with the brilliant name, Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus shows his true colours in his attitude towards others. Epaphroditus, we, we heard, was ill. And the church have a genuine concern that he is ill. Epaphroditus starts to become anxious that the church are anxious that he is ill. There is this, this genuine concern that is shared both ways in their friendships. It seems that both are more concerned for the other than for themselves. Dale Carnegie wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Maybe you've heard of that. And he said this, he said, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. I love that Timothy and Epaphroditus both showed this amazing interest in others and refrained refrained from always talking about themselves. I this, me that. There was a genuine love in their friendships. That's the first one, genuine love. The second one is this. As friends, they had shared interests. That might seem quite obvious. You might think about some of your own friendships, past or present, and it's likely that your friendships work because you have a shared interest in something. Maybe you play sports together, maybe you work together, maybe you have kids of the same age, uh, maybe you have uh, neighbours. For Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, they had a shared interest, and it says this in verse 21, the interests of Christ Jesus. That might be true for you, especially if you've got friendships here in the life of church, but there is an added dimension to their friendships. And this is an added dimension that is true for us today as well. And it doesn't come into our worldly culture. It is a closeness described in the New Testament as fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship comes from a Greek word, koinonia. And it means to hold something in common. And you might be thinking, well, okay, you can hold something in common and have friendships around sport or work or neighbours or whatever else. But this was something far deeper. This was a bond of unity and is a bond of unity that forms when the Holy Spirit is at work in our relationships with one another, through our shared beliefs, through our shared convictions, and through our behaviours. It is a bond that gives us a freedom to worship together, to pray together, to seek God's kingdom together, to serve together. It is a bond, a friendship like no other fellowship. And if you've come into St. Mark's, you've experienced a bond of peace, a bond of togetherness. It is koinonia at work. 
But koinonia, lived deeply, happens beyond coffee at the end of the service. It starts when we begin to gather together in small groups, when we meet together in triplicates to pray for one another, to support each other, just to have fun together. You can do that at any time. That's where this deep bond of friendship starts to form around shared interests. The third top tip that we see within the passage in Philippians is that they had a shared mission. When people join St. Mark's, we say that the way to do that is to pray, serve, and give. That's how you get buy-in. That's how you get to invest yourself within the mission here and all that God is doing in and through us. You get to play your unique part in the shared mission. The reason we encourage people to join a team is, is because within a couple of weeks, if you have joined a team, you get to know people by serving alongside them. You get to build friendships with people rather than just making polite conversation over coffee at the end of a service until next week when you do the same. When you serve alongside others, you get to play your part in this great story of renewal as people get to encounter the love of God, as we learn together to live more like Jesus, as we are filled with the Spirit to go in the power of the Spirit to see lives and communities transformed. We have a shared mission. And Paul and Timothy had a shared mission as they served together in the work of the gospel. Paul says that Timothy has served with me, with me in the work of the gospel. You know, Paul is older, he's more senior, but there doesn't seem to be a hierarchy in their service. They serve alongside. The, the term that Paul uses is that Timothy slaved with me. It's that deep, it's that raw, their friendship of service. Paul and Epaphroditus are described as co-workers in the gospel. Co-working and serving alongside each other is where true fellowship happens and where relationships come alive. It is participating in God's mission that causes their friendship to grow and to flourish. You know, if we didn't serve alongside one another, if we weren't part of a wider mission and all that God was doing, we would become quite quickly a club, inward-looking, and we would die out. However, when we work together in mission and we serve as the church together alongside others in the work of the gospel, new friendships are formed. And the fourth and final top tip we can take from this passage is that to build new friendships, we need to take risks and embrace battles. You know, this is where things get rocky. Because where there are risks, where there are battles, people get hurt and limbs get knocked out of joint. But let me just explain why this is so critical in building new friendships. Paul describes his friend, Epaphroditus, as a brother, that's the genuine love, as a fellow worker, that's the shared interest and mission, and then as a fellow soldier. There exists a common toil, a common danger, a common suffering in their relationship. Because the reality is that the Christian life is not easy and we will face battles. We may not face much persecution here in the West, although we might, but elsewhere in the world they face persecution as a huge battle. 
Open Doors, an organization who stands alongside 365 million Christians who face persecution and discrimination worldwide have put together the World Watch List. They do it every single year. You can access it online. I've got the booklet here sent to me this week. According to the World Watch List in 2024, you're most likely to to face extreme persecution as a Christian living in North Korea, Somalia, Libya, Eritrea, and Yemen. Many of those Christians are murdered because they won't denounce their faith in Christ. These people are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They are our spiritual friends. When I think of the suffering they may face and the battles each of us face for living the Christian life, how important it is to know that a friend, even though you may be separated, is praying with you, is standing with you in the fiercest of battles. And for those who are martyred, How amazing to know that you will see your friends again in eternity. That we can be sure of. You know, when we face battles, these new friendships come into their own. We draw alongside one another. Koinonia is birthed. We realize we are not alone. You know, Epaphroditus, his name means gambling luck. It's interesting that Paul says that he risked his life. He gambled his life for the sake of his friends. By associating himself with Paul, who was in prison on capital charges, he could have been thrown in prison. By his hard work, he risked his health for the sake of the gospel. Whatever happened with Epaphroditus, we see how he showed reckless devotion to his friend, Paul. In the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas are described as men who risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the days of the early church, some of the believers gained the nickname the gamblers. They had a reputation for going and visiting the sick and people with infectious diseases, hazarding their life for the sake of Christ to take the gospel. Jesus took risks with his friendships too. Jesus made himself vulnerable to his friends. He said in John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You know, in the end, Jesus was betrayed by one of those friends and he was deserted by the others. He all did a runner on Jesus. You know, our friendships will face rejection and hurt and being let down. The challenge as Christians is to be intentional and quick to extend grace and forgiveness and reconciliation. So there we have four top tips from the scriptures for building these new friendships, genuine love, shared interests, shared mission, risks and battles. I wonder What do you need to put in place in your life to now build those new friendships, to strengthen the friendships you have? I wonder what it would mean for Grimsby if we can model these sort of Jesus-centered friendships. You know, I think if we could do that, we could start to master it. We would have a strengthened mission here, working alongside one another to see a greater life. 
a greater love, a greater life, and a greater Grimsby. We'd have a lot of fun doing it. We don't ever want to get to the point where we serve out of duty or become a club. This is the best time to be working on God's mission alongside one another. I think we'd see that word fellowship really coming alive, moving away from becoming a religious cliche to something that is desired by those who come in to church. People see something and they think, wow, what is it about you? What is it about this place? I want that for myself. If they can see that, they'll want Jesus for themselves. You know, I think we'll have something going on that's more meaningful than a Hallmark Valentine's Day. Something really worth celebrating, worth working at day by day. Relationships that, that grow firm foundations and roots as we love God and learn one another with a divine love that transforms our relationships. I'd just love to pray for us and just begin that with these words from Jesus in John 15, 25. Jesus said this, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And we know that if we desire this new life, if we desire new friendships, then we are going to need his help. Shall we pray? Can I invite you to stand if you're able to? You know, we can hear these words, we can look at the scriptures and think, yeah, that's good. But doing it is the hard stuff. So why don't we ask the Holy Spirit to come and inspire us and empower us to do that? And again, you might find it helpful, I, I do. There's nothing magical about it, but just to put your hands out to receive. It's just a sign of openness to what the Spirit wants to do next in you and in us. And so we pray, Lord, we, we can't do this by ourselves, and yet we desire to live the life, the new life for you, Jesus. We long for these deep friendships, these new friendships. So we pray now that you would pour on us your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. 